This is episode number 451 with number one New York Times bestselling author, Tony Robbins. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. We could try to explain what it feels like to get your work done on a John Deere. The way a Z-Track mower finishes in half the time you thought it would. Or how much easier it is to move mountains of soil with a 1 Series tractor. We could even go into detail about how it feels to tow up to 4,000 pounds behind a Gator XUV. But if you really want to know what it's like to run with us, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. Over 15 years ago when I was in high school, I went to my first inspirational event in St. Louis, Missouri. And my dad bought myself and my mom two tickets to go to this event hosted by a man named Tony Robbins. Now, I didn't really know much about who Tony Robbins was, but at the event, there were other big speakers, athletes, coaches that I admired, and I really wanted to learn from. Little did I know that this experience would change my life forever. And without this one experience, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. Now, to give you some context, I was sitting on the floor seats uh, of this big arena, about 20,000 people in the arena, and imagine kind of the 50-yard line. We were sitting back on the floor, about halfway back in this arena. And Tony Robbins, at one point throughout the day, walks off the stage and down the aisle, down the middle of the section where I was sitting. And I was sitting right next to the aisle. And he walks down to about that 50-yard line where I was sitting with my mom. And he comes up next to me. And I was just thinking to myself, I wonder if he's going to stop next to me and look at me. And he walks up next to me and he stops. And he stands there for about 30 to 60 seconds. And I don't remember what he said the things he was saying or the suggestions of what we could do in that moment with our lives or our business. I wasn't even sure what he was saying, but I will never forget the way he made me feel in that moment. He possessed such a presence and energy and certainty about what he was talking about that made me believe more in myself. And that may sound a little crazy, may sound a little weird, but I tell you the truth. Energy doesn't lie. And his energy in that moment was so powerful and profound for me as a 16-year-old it opened something up for me. I didn't have the confidence when I was in my teens. I think like most teens, I didn't have that confidence. And I said, that's something that I want. I don't know what it is, how he got it, or you know what to name it, but I want it. And I want to be doing this someday. I want to be in front of an audience where I could stand in front of an audience with confidence and certainty and express a certain energy as well to get people to move forward to be more inspired about their life and their dreams and actually go after it with reckless abandon for love and passion and their dreams. And I'll never forget that moment. And today we have the man, Tony Robbins, back on the podcast for the third time. And for those that don't know who he is, the last two times we had him on, they were some of the biggest shows we've ever had out of 451 episodes. And so many people came up to me and said after they listened that they've listened to so many Tony Robbins interviews, but this is the one that they thought was the best 
because Tony opened up in a way where he normally doesn't. And I said, okay, if I get him back on a third time, we've got to continue to push the boundaries and open him up to express and share things he's never shared in public, on an interview, to his friends. And guys, I think we did it again. That's right. I think we did it for a third time. So for those who don't know who he is, he's coached more than 50 million people from 100 countries and is the number one life and business strategist in the world. And in his new book, he reveals how to become unshakable, someone who can not only maintain true peace of mind in a world of immense uncertainty, economic volatility, and unprecedented change, but who can profit from the fear that immobilizes so many. And after writing the number one New York Times bestseller, Money Master of the Game, he comes back with the step-by-step financial freedom playbook, Unshakable, taking you on a journey to transform your financial life and accelerate your path to financial freedom. Now, guys, I am pumped for this. And we cover so many things, and it really gets juicy you know, halfway, two-thirds of the way through, it just like continues to build. So there's some incredible stuff where we talk about the difference between someone who is financially rich and someone who is financially poor. And what is that difference between the rich person and the poor person and how can anyone have it? We also talk about how to prepare for a bear market, a market that is dying. How do we prepare for that? Whether How do we prepare for that whether we're rich poor or somewhere in the middle. Also, what you need to know about timing when investing. Also, if it's possible for women to become powerful leaders without making men feel emasculated and the antidote to all suffering. We reveal so much. We also, at the end, guys, I asked a number of people on my audience to share a question that they would want to have asked. And we had over 250 questions submitted. So I ask a few of your questions at the end. This is a powerful interview. Make sure to share it with your friends right now as you're listening. Get everyone you know to listen to this on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud or watch the YouTube video as well. lewishouse.com slash 451 for all the show notes. Guys, get ready for a powerful one with the one and only Tony Robbins. Welcome, everyone, back to the School of Greatness podcast. Very excited about our guest, Tony Robbins. Good to see you again. So good to see you. This is interview number three that we've done together. Oh, that's right. We have done two before, haven't we? The no. first two both did over a half a million views on YouTube, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of uh, downloads on the audio, some of our top episodes out of 450 episodes. Wow, so that's wonderful. I'm excited to bring back the third one. And um, for those that aren't following Tony, make sure you're following this guy. He's one of the most inspirational coaches in business and life in the world. Thank you. And also in finances and how to make money. And the new book is Unshakable, Your Financial Freedom Playbook, Creating Peace of Mind in a World of Volatility. And it's really a, a, a playbook, a step-by-step guide to mastery, right? Yeah. I don't go from where you are financially, where you want to be. I really wrote it because, um, you know, I wrote Money Master the Game and mm-hmm. 700 pages in <laughs> a monster. Yeah. But my goal was, you know, I interviewed 50 of the smartest financial people in the world, the Warren Buffetts, the Carl Icons, the Ray Dalios, and the best in the earth. And I wanted to write a book that could take anybody and take them on the journey, or I could take my billionaire clients on the journey. 
and it became number one New York bestseller, best New York Times bestseller. I was thrilled with it, and I swore I was going to write another book. I hadn't written a book in 20 years. And then what happened was I was doing, I, I was doing what I just did this last week. I was up in Whistler. We do change locations every year, but I do a financial program where I bring usually five self-made billionaires in five days, and then I bring 20 speakers, including them and myself, and we go deep. And so yeah. this year I had Ray Dalio, who's the largest, most successful hedge fund guy in the history of the world, produced more money for investors than anybody alive. Um, I had uh, you know, President Clinton. We yeah. had uh, you know we had the, the top guy who became a billionaire in Bitcoin. It was pretty amazing. But a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, I had Fed Chair Alan Greenspan, and I spent three hours with him just getting in his psyche. <laughs> you know, over supposedly lunch it was supposed to be thirty minutes, right. and you know, he's ninety years old. He's yeah. been you know the most powerful man in finance for nineteen years across four presidents, and so. And then I got him on stage for two hours, and the last question, we're talking about negative interest rates. I mean, if you think about it, we're mm. living in a world that never existed before. Mm. The Wall Street Journal hired a historian to find out when was the last time we had negative interest rates. And in 5,000 years of banking history, it's never happened, right? Wow. Where you give your money, and they, you pay them to give them your money. They've always paid you and then loaned your money and made money off of it. It's the craziest thing. There's, there are bonds right now, like Toyota is buying the bond that they're selling for 0 .006. Mm -hmm. At 001, excuse me. At that rate, it takes 69,000 years to double your money. So I'm having this conversation with him. And, you know, he's head swirling and we're talking about things. And at the very end, I finally said, so tell me, what would you do if you were back maybe the head, head of the Fed today? I mean, in this crazy environment, what would you do? Yes. And he paused and he paused and he leaned forward and he said, I'd resign. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> like, that did not exactly encourage things. And then I interviewed Howard <laughs> Marks, who runs Oak Tree Capital. Mm. In 2008, when the market was tanking, he was buying a billion dollars a week every single week because he saw everything going on sale. Right. And he said to me, this was like six months ago, nine months ago, he said, Tony, if you're not confused by what's going on, you don't know what's going on. We are in a place we've never been financially. So... I saw so much fear, and you know, we're in the eighth year of a bull market. It's the second largest bull market in the history right. of the world, and we all know there's going to be a crash, but while you're busy worrying about the crash, a lot of people miss the bull market. It's up 250% since 2008. Mm. It's up 14% since Trump was made president in right. November. It's crazy, right? And a lot of people on the sideline going, it's so expensive, you know, it's going to come down. So I thought what I'd do is write a short book, not 600, 700 pages. Yes. Make it so they can read it in a weekend or, you know, long day or evening. And then I wanted to write a book that also was really a playbook, showed you exactly what to do. So if you're a you know, a baby boomer and you never got started, you can still make it. Or if you're, you know, somebody who's, let's say, a, mm -hmm. um, uh, a millennial and you feel like you've been through college and you got so much debt and you never get out of it, yes. this is the plan how to get out of it. But I really wanted to get rid of the fear. I wanted to show people that there's nothing to fear and do it not with enthusiasm, but with facts. And in this book, when you read this, it'll blow your mind. And I'm also giving 100% of the profits. Not, not a penny comes to me, again, to feed people, because we fed 100 million people yes. two years ago, 100 million last year. This book will help feed 50 million, so every book feeds 50 people, and then I'm putting matching funds up to feed another 100 million people. We're going to feed a billion people in the next seven years. Pretty You're awesome. Man. You're the man. Uh, the thing I love about this is I am a very slow reader. It yes. takes me forever. Really? And it's hard for me to comprehend. After like five pages, I, yeah. I feel like I forgot everything. Yeah. I read this in four hours. Wow. And for me, you know, I've had my own level of financial success. Yeah. And I feel like I understand certain, certain parts of it, but there's always more for me to learn. Yeah. And I learned so much because you make it so simple. You break the most complicated, confusing, and scary things down into simple ideas. 
and analogies that anyone can understand. So yeah. make sure you guys get this again, 100% go to Feeding America. Is that the, the yeah. foundation, right? Yeah, yeah. they'll feed them. It's a game changer. I highly recommend it. And I've got some questions for you. We had some, some of our listeners ask questions. So I'm going to ask some of those. Cool. But I wanted to ask first what the difference is between someone who is financially rich and who's, someone who is financially poor. What's the difference? Well, there's lots of differences, but I'd say the first one is someone who is financially rich is an owner. They're not a consumer. They're mm-hmm. a consumer also. But when somebody is poor, they're a consumer. That all they do is they take the, you know, I always tell people we're all financial traders. My people say, I'm not a financial trader. Yes, you are. You're trading time for money. Yeah. That's the worst trade you can ever make in your life. Um, somebody who's wealthy has made money their slave. They're no longer the slave to money. And the way they do that is they figured out how to become an owner. And the way you do that in the most simplistic way, I even taught it in my first book, was you have to decide there's a percentage of money that you're going to keep forever. You're not going to give it to Kate Spade or Ferrari or anybody else. You can do that too. But there's a percentage of that income that never will be touched, that you will grow and compound and will provide income for the rest of your life so you don't have to work. Now, when I was growing up, everybody's goal was get rich enough so you never have to work. Now, like all my friends are 15, 18 years my senior. People like uh, Steve Wynn in most mm-hmm. of Las Vegas, he's like 74 uh, Warren Buffett's 85. Uh, Peter Gruber, one of my dearest friends in the world, owns the Golden State Warriors, the LA Dodgers. Yeah. We're partners in the LAFC football team in LA. Um, brilliant guy, 74 years old. And they're all working harder now than they ever were, and they don't have to work. So the goal is make enough money so you don't have to work, and then you'll do what you love, and you'll right. pour your time and energy into it. But you have to make that decision. It's the first most important decision is I'm going to become an owner of American business. You don't want to have an Apple phone and not own Apple. And you don't want to just own Apple because any company can go up and down, right? right? You want to own the index. You want to own you know, a variety with enough diversification. But if you can just shift, and I've taught people who've told me they couldn't, they have no money, they can't save. Mm-hmm. It's really easy once you get momentum. There's yeah. a research project I did with um, a gentleman uh, who was nominated for Nobel Prize on behavioral finance. And what he did was he said, if you can even, you know, you need to save 15% ideally. But if you could even save 3%, because anybody can do that. They right. took a group of blue-collar workers in the Midwest and said, we're going to force you to save 3%. I think it was three and a quarter or three and a half. But then we're, everybody can die, go on a diet tomorrow. Everybody can mm. save money tomorrow, right? Yeah. So his tool was, all right, you're not going to save today. You're going to save tomorrow. We'll do the 3.5%. But then you go to your employer and say, the next time I get a raise, the first 5% goes to my savings account, to my investing account. And then every time you get a raise, you do that. Well, in 14 years, the average person was saving 15%, and the top 40% were saving 20 mm. well, Let me explain what that means. You and I were together before. I, I, when I'm trying to explain compounding to people, everybody understands it intellectually. But when I ask some of the richest people in the world, what are most investors failing to do? And they all say they're not tapping the power of compounding. So if you're in a situation where, as an example, let's take um, – you're, you've got $100,000 that you've saved, you're 35 years old, and you put it in the market and just leave it there and never add anything to it. If you leave it in the market and you're only being charged 1% in fees, at retirement 35 years later, you got 762000 from that 100. Never added a dime. It grew that much. Wow. But if you pay 3% in fees, which is the average most people are paying, when you ask people where they're paying, they don't know, mm. or they say 1%. Because when you hear about it, fees, let's say a mutual fund fee, you'll always yeah. hear 1%. That's the expense ratio. Mm-hmm. There are 17 other fees. Yeah. So every 1% you overpay, you know, 1% is the average. But uh-huh. If you pay two or three and the average mutual fund is 3.12, it sounds like nothing, one or 2%. 
But every 1% you overpay because of compounding right. means you lose a decade of income. So the person who paid wow. 1% has 762,000. The person who paid 3% has $452,000 and they own the same stocks. It's just fees. So while we compound our interest, we also compound fees. So if you could save 3% and build it to 5, 10, 50, or you start with 10 or 15 and eventually mm -hmm. get to 20, the best example I can give your viewers is that uh, there's a gentleman who worked for UPS who literally never yeah. made more than $14,000 a year. You heard about him in the book. And when he retired, he had $70 million. And he gave away 35 million while he was alive. And the reason was, a friend of his set him aside and said, look, I'm gonna make you rich. He goes, mm. I'm never gonna be rich. I make 14 grand a year. He goes, I'm gonna make you rich. I'm gonna make you rich later in life. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna do it by a 20% tax to your business. And he goes, I make 14,000 a year. I can't live on 20% mm. less. And his friend said to him, if the IRS came and said a 20% more tax, you'd scream, you'd yell, and you'd pay it. Yeah. And he said, but we're gonna pay it for you. And that 20% compounded generated $70 million. So wow. for the people that are at home, the sooner you start, the better off you are because compounding does it. I've got an example in the book of a guy that starts at 19. He puts aside $300 a month. He stops at 27. Mm -hmm. So he does it for eight years. He only puts in, I think it was uh, $35,000. Yep. But it's a, and he, it's a million dollars by leaving in the market when he turned 65 and he stopped at 28. He has a best friend that starts at 28, invests his entire life, puts in oh, $180,000 and he has less money at the end. Mm. The sooner you start, the better you are. Yeah. So many questions I want to ask. I don't there. Dominate fast, <laughs> so many I want to ask. So what up? Is there a way to be financially free just by saying I'm going to earn more every year as opposed to investing every year? Can That's you do it without investing investment. at all, or do you have to invest? And when you say put it in the market, you mean put it in index funds? Is what I'm. Hearing. Well, in the book I explain, you've got to have diversification. Right. And Don't you just throw it in a stock and just no. And leave what it most there. people yeah. do is they go to a mutual fund. And yeah. They think it, it sounds logical. I'm I'm no good at this. This is yeah. not my skill. A person says you go to a professional who runs a mutual fund. What do they do? They figure out a series of investments to make. Mm -hmm. They put it in the fund and they do it for you. And you think, well, gosh, you know, they're smarter than I am. They'll do well. You assume that, but the truth is, they charge so much. Mm that even if they did have an advantage, they lose it. I interviewed David Swenson, who's the head of chief investment officer at Yale. It took Yale 200 years to get a billion dollars that they saved. He turned it into 25 billion in two decades. Wow. It's unheard of, he's the greatest institutional investor of all time. And one of the things that he told me, he said, Tony, you just gotta understand something. He said, you're never gonna earn your way to wealth. He mm -hmm. said, how many people have you seen, movie stars, actors, athletes, you know, the other day, 50 Cent just went broke, right? Yeah. He, made, he made $100 million on vitamin water right. alone. Somebody gave him a tip. <laughs> and he's, he was had a half, a half a billion dollars, and he's broke, completely Crazy. broke. Mike Tyson made a half a billion dollars and went broke. Yeah. You can understand that a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> but, I think it's 78% of NFL players go bankrupt two years after they retire. And, and the yeah. average lifespan of an NFL player is three and a half years. So these guys work their whole life. They go through these rough injuries, and they don't know how to invest. So yeah. the answer is... You can make a fortune. Elton John didn't go bankrupt because it's different rules in, in mm. England, but yeah. he got in trouble. Who I just saw the other day is, um, what's his name? The Pirates of the Caribbean. What's his name? Um, Johnny Depp? Johnny Depp. Yeah. Johnny Depp's going bankrupt right now. Really? Johnny Depp. He's making like spends, 20, 30 million a year. Yeah, or a Johnny movie. Depp was worth $700 million, what? three quarters of a billion. He's <laughs> on the verge of bankruptcy right now, can't pay his bills. He was paying $30,000 a month on wine alone. Oh right? my gosh. He spent $3 million to take Hunter Thompson's body, burn it, 
put the dust into this giant cannon and shoot his dust into the space, three million bucks. It doesn't matter how much money you earn, you can always get rid of it and <laughs> of lose course, it. Yeah. Buy an island and watch how quick right. it disappears. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. So what I show people is, what you really want to do is create an income for life without mm-hmm. working. Mm-hmm. The goal, if you own a business, and I would assume a lot of your viewers are business yeah. owners yeah. Or, or getting started in business, no matter how good you are in business, think about this. The one universal rule that idiots in finance know is diversification. It's mm-hmm. the only free lunch. You've got to diversify. Because if you put all your eggs in one basket, no matter how good the basket is, one day that real estate market, that stock market, that bond market, that collectibles market, whatever you invest in, Ray Dalio showed me statistically, it'll drop 50 to 70% on a day. Now, if you're later in life when that happens, it's over for you. Range Rover Sport leads by example. Picture this. Assertive on-road performance meets commanding all-terrain capability. That's the third-generation Range Rover Sport, which is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet. This vehicle redefines sporting luxury, offering an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure. Now available in sleek, new stealth pack, Carpathian gray exterior wrapped in satin protective film with black accents and black brake calipers. Inside the Range Rover Sport, advanced cabin technologies like active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offer new levels of comfort and refinement. And let's not forget about the award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment system. Enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Wow, that's like a spa day while on the go. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place place to start, and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So you have to diversify, and yet most people, they know real estate, so they do it, or they know stocks, so they do it, or they grew up with their, ha- their parents flipping things, and it's the wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. So you've got to diversify in order for you to be able to truly succeed, and that's why when you own a business, yeah. If you put all your money in your business, which is what most of us do naturally, <laughs> it's a lot not, of risk. Yeah. You put all your eggs in one basket, and risk. there's things that can happen. I mean, you know, you're let's say you spend 20 years and you figured out how to put together the ultimate map. You know, and you remember Garmin came out with this thing called the Tom Tom. I don't know if you remember. You used to yeah. put on your. Are you old enough to remember that? You used of to course. put on your phone. Yeah, yeah. Or you used to put on your dash. Uh, the dash. Yeah, yeah. Cost a hundred bucks. Yeah. It was a breakthrough. They were making like six, $100 million or something. Or, yeah, they, they were. were yeah, yeah. Six months later, what happened? The iPhone came out with That's Google right. Maps. <laughs> These little bastards, excuse my French, came out with it, put Google yeah. Maps, put their own map on here, and cost how much? Zero. What's that going to do to your business when someone takes your product or serve and gives it away for free? So I always tell people, competition mm-hmm. happens, mm-hmm. technology happens. What you must do is have a second business with, yeah. no, with no moving parts, no people, no time. Maybe it takes you... Two, two, three days a year for two or three hours after you've read the book. Mm-hmm. You put it in place and you measure it two or three times yeah. a year. That's it. Yeah. Go on with your life. Now if there's a trouble in your business, you're financially set. 
I, in my life, have 31 companies now. We have, wow. you know, what do we have? 1,200 employees, seven different industries. We do 5 billion in sales. Yep. I mean, I, that used to be, you know, me and my seminar business. It's grown geometrically. Wow. But with all those moving parts, the only way I've been able to succeed is because I've taken every one of those businesses and I've diversified my assets so that when things were in trouble, I still have enough economics to take right. care of myself and keep the business going. So right. everybody needs to create a money machine that works while you sleep, mm -hmm. that doesn't have moving parts, and that's what this is really about. You have a great cartoon in the book um, where there's a kid asking his father, you know, something about like, how do you invest your money or how's the stock market work? And he says, you put your money in at the peak, yeah. it starts to go down and lose money, and so you get scared and you take it out, and then someone smarter than you makes all the money. That's something right. like that. So Very how simple. do we, how do, and I've done that in the past, where I put my money in somewhere high, it went down, and I was like, oh, I just lost a bunch of money, let me take yeah. it out. Yeah. And then I put it back in another time, and I'm like, what am I doing? So how do we um, invest without fear of, yeah. oh, it's going down, I need to take it out, or like trying to time it, how do we do that? Great question. It's one of the main reasons I wrote the book. Mm. Uh, this, I always tell people, if you just read the second chapter of the book, nothing yeah. else, it'll change your life. You can do that with multiple chapters, but that chapter is really about teaching people that winter is coming, yes. we all know winter's coming, right, to coin a phrase, but that winter is the best time on earth. And I know that's counterintuitive, and I don't mean like being a positive thinker, I mean yeah. pure facts. So in the book, I take you through 10 facts, I'll give you a couple of them right now. Yep. The first fact I give people is, why do people not invest? They're afraid of failing. They, if you're a millennial, right, mm -hmm. so you grew up witnessing 2008 when yeah, you were still relatively young, how old yeah. are you now? 33. Okay, so you were, what, 27? Not, what, 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 what? 2008? Yeah. Uh, yeah, 27, I guess. Yeah, 27, 28 years old. So you're a young man, yeah. and you're watching the world melting down in front of you. Yeah. For most millennials, they are the first generation since the generation that went through the Depression that is not investing at the ratio they need to even close. And they have Boomers more debt than everyone, probably, right? With the, all the They have more college debt than yeah. everyone, absolutely true. I have a friend that has $400,000 of debt, well, dental school. President Obama just paid off his debt five years ago while he was still what? president. No. I swear to God. Oh my it's gosh. Like, it's mind-boggling. And he had a bunch of uh, scholarships, but the right. last bit, it took him that long. So what I tell them is, wow. listen, debt, paying off your debt's not enough. You've got to become an owner or you're mm. always going to be in that place. So yes, pay off your debt, but here's what you need to know. You got to become an owner. You got to get in the game, but you got to understand the rules of the game. Mm. You don't know the rules of the game. The old phrase is, you get, you know, when a person with experience meets a person with money, we know the phrase, Person the money ends up with the experience. Right, right, exactly. Person with experience ends up with your money, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I teach people the rules of the game so they don't get screwed. But mm. the, the most important thing is this. Winter's coming, but people react. So let's take last year. Last January, 2016, we had the worst stock market opening in the history of the stock market. Worst, mm -hmm. first, I think it was 10 days. Yeah. There was a drop of $2.3 trillion with a T. Crazy. Everybody's freaking thinking the bear market's here, the market's over, the crash is here. I think the market dropped 800 points one day, and on that day, all the richest people in the world were in Davos, Switzerland, you know, for the big yeah, conference that yeah. they do every year. And they went there, MSNBC went there, and, and everybody's freaking, what's happening? What are we going to do? And they said, let's go ask Ray Dalio. Now, your listeners may or may not know who Ray Dalio is. If, if you're not in the financial business, you've probably never heard of him. You've probably heard of Warren Buffett, but Ray Dalio's done more. You had to have a $5 billion net worth and a hundred million dollars to give him or he wouldn't talk to you 10 years ago. Now he doesn't give a shit how much money you have, he won't talk to you because <laughs> he's got a closed fund. But they go and they put value on television, mm -hmm. CNBC, he's the king. What do we do? And he says, well, 
you don't need to panic. Corrections happen all the time. Yeah. But you need a strategy that when markets go up and down, you don't go up and down. And he said, I spent 15 years of my life to perfect such a strategy. All of my money's in that plan. And he said, it's called All Seasons, and I've never revealed it before, but I gave it to Tony Robbins. He extracted from me, and it's his book. So you got to go read his book. This is what he says on national television, the day the markets are crashing. And that day, to give you an idea, which is the beginning of February, I think it was nine days into February, the market was down 9% mm. in the first five weeks of the year. Mm. His strategy, which he gave me, which has made money 85% of the time for the last 75 years. Wow. It's averaged a 10% return, just under, and the average loss, out of, when it 15% loss, was 1.6. So if you go to Vegas and you could spend 85% of the time make money, and when you made money it was 10%, your loss is 1.6, you could <laughs> go forever. His plan made 2% while the market was down nine. So it was up 11% difference. Now I'm not suggesting that's the only strategy to do, there's many. His is the smoothest ride right. with the least risk. But what it did was, combination of that, and then right after that, I interviewed uh, Fed Chair Alan Greenspan. He was the head of our economy, the, the most powerful man in finance for 19 years, four presidents he was there running. I was just with President Clinton this last week. He was, he was the Fed Chair for him. And I interviewed him for like two hours, you know, or three hours off stage, two hours in front. And I asked him, in the very beginning of this thing, I said to him, I said, look, if you could we put the Fed today, what would you do? And he looks at me, and as I said, he leans forward and he says, resign. So I look at that <laughs> and go, oh my God, I need to write a book that'll free people. So mm. here's what will free you. Everyone's afraid of the crash. So here's what you need to know, two terms you should understand. Correction versus crash. Anytime the market drops from its high by 10% or more, up to 20, it's called a correction. Right. If it drops 20% or more, up to 80%, like in you know, the, the Great Depression, then it's called a crash or called a bear market, okay? So how often does a correction happen? How, how, how often do we have to be prepared for it? Since 1900, we've had a correction on average every year wow. for 116 years. So when is winter coming? This year on average. Every year. It's like, how often does winter come? You wouldn't be surprised if it stormed and rained. Now some winters are long, some are short, some are harsh, some are light, but winter always comes. So I wasn't panicked when this happened mm. last year. I'm not panicked whenever it happens because I know it's supposed to be. Yeah. How long does it last? Average, 56 days. Okay, right. so just under two months. What's the average drop during that time? 14% over the last 30 years, 13.5 of the last 100 years. So I use the more recent one. 14% gets your attention, right? 14% you get a little gut check. Yeah. Yeah. But here's what you need to know. 80% of all corrections never become a bear market. 80%. Mm. So all this fear, and what people do is what you said you did, is they see it, it's freaking out, I'm losing money, I'm the hell out of here, and they get out. The stock market never took a dime from anybody, only you can take it from you. You sold, that's why you lost. Right. Right? So if you look back and say, what was it like in 2008, I can remember vividly being with my platinum partners and saying, you see these $80 stocks? This is six months before the crash. I told them in April, I brought them to Dubai, and I said, these stocks are going to go to eight, and some are going to go to a buck. Wow. And by October, and I told them what to do, so they were able to get out. October, I go on the Today Show in October of 2008, and they go, Tony, there's been $3 trillion meltdown. Pump the country up. you got four minutes. <laughs> like, like, Ready, go. That's not what I do, first of all. And I said, I'd be a lie. I'm not going to put yeah, yeah. At that point, the $80 stocks were eight. I said, some of those, I said, I'm not a market forecaster, but I work with Paul Tudor Jones, one of the greatest investors in the history of the world. 
in the biggest market crash in history, you know, 1987, he made 200%. Wow. When everybody else was losing their entire life. And I've been coaching him continuously now for 24 years, every single day. Wow. So I said, I work with the best in the world, and they're telling me based on history in the 30s and history in the 70s, this $8 stock, some are gonna be a buck. And I remember the day in March of 2009, mm. Citibank, which had been, I think, $70, sold for 97 cents. You wow. could go and take your money out of the ATM. Yeah. It cost you more to take your money up than to own the <laughs> bank, right? And then I told people, it'll jump from 99 cents to six, 10, $12 in a month or two, and it's exactly right. what it did, right? So what you gotta know is corrections happen every year. You got another couple months, you gotta know it's 14%, yeah. and you won't lose because 80% of the time it doesn't go to a bear. Now, what about the bear? The bear market, it happens, to give you an idea, in the last 100 years, every three to five years. You've gone eight without one. We're way overdue. But in modern years, last 30 years, it's about every five years. The average length of a bear is one year. The average drop is 33%. A third of those drops go 40% or above. That, I don't care how well prepared you are, that's a scary thing. Yeah. But it is the greatest opportunity in your lifetime to go from wherever you are financially to where you want to be. I hope your audience is listening right now. Hear me. Mm. If you want to leapfrog and you're a millennial and you think there's no future or you're you know, a baby boomer and you think you're too old and it's too late, the greatest gift you have is coming. I know it doesn't sound like it. This is not positive thinking bullshit. This is the truth. Mm. Wall Street, the stock market, is the only place that when things go on sale, people freak out. If I said, you like Ferraris? Sure. If I said to you, Ferraris go on sale for 50% off. Awesome. <laughs> but when I tell so you I... Apple's on sale for 50% off, you go, oh, what right. am I going to do here? What's wrong? The whole world's coming to an end. If you think about it, how old are you? 33. 33. So let's assume if you were 35 and you lived to 85, you got mm -hmm. 50, 52 years ahead of you. That means you have 52 more corrections to live through. Right. <laughs> that means you're probably in those 50 years going to have 10 more bear markets to live mm. through. If you're going to have a gut checks every time or you're going to leave out of it, right. if you didn't participate because you thought, oh, the market's too volatile, I can't trust it, all that stuff, you missed 250% return in the last eight years. Mm. I mean, you, you've missed out on everything while you're waiting for things to be better. And if you won't do it when it's like this, when it crashes, you're not going to get in. Sure. So... Here's the good news about the bear. The good news about the bear, average ones a year. Could be longer, but that's the average. Mm. Could be shorter. But here's what's cool. Every single bear market in the history of the United States has led to a bull market. Meaning, right afterwards. So 2008, this plummeting, what mm. happened in 2009? Up 67% wow. in a year. I can show you every single bear market, and the next year when it comes out, it's this explosion. Now, that's not true in every market in the world. It's true for two centuries in the United States. Wow. So that's why Warren Buffett says, I want to be greedy when people are afraid. Mm -hmm. And I want to be afraid when people are greedy. If you remember 2008, he was telling everybody, buy. He was having the time of his life. <laughs> buy, buy, buy. Everything's on sale. So mm -hmm. what you have to do to become unshakable mm -hmm. is turn, when I always, the metaphor I use is the, turn the snake into the rope. Meaning, we all know the story. It's the middle of the night. You're walking through the yard or someplace and you see a snake and you're freaked out. You pull back. You come in the morning and it's a rope. Once you know it's a rope, you're never afraid again. Yeah. I want to take for people investing and show them how to turn that snake into the rope it really is. And I'll tell you one final stat on all this. People always say, and you started to bring it up, timing. Mm -hmm. How do I time it? Like right now, things are too expensive. I want to wait. People have been saying that for eight years. Mm -hmm. Is there going to be a correction? Yes. Yeah. But when it corrects, 
you just you want to invest again. You'll get dollar cost averaging. If you paid a little too much here, you'll pay paying less here. It'll bring the average price to a reasonable place. It's going to allow you to succeed. But here's what people need to know about timing. If you are not in the market, it's the most dangerous thing. Mm. This is so counterintuitive, so I hope your audience is listening. Let me show you. Research, there's two different research projects. One was done by JP Morgan. I just spoke for them the other day at their Alternative Investments Conference. And to be in the room, there are 400 people. You have to have a billion-dollar network to get in the room. Crazy. It was mind-boggling, right? So JP Morgan did a study, and also Schwab did a separate study. 20-year mm. studies. In the last 20 years, to give you an idea, the average S&P 500, that index, has produced 8.2%. Over 30 years, it was 1028 but in the last 20 years, a little bit less. Still great. You double your money, you know, roughly you're, you're in a position where you double the money a little more than every, uh, you know, you know, what is it now, 7.2, so it'd be like a little more in 10 years. Mm. But here's what they found out. If you miss the 10 best trading days in 20 years, because you're trying to time the market and yes. you're not in it during one of those days, you went from 8.2% return over that period per annum, per year, it dropped down almost half, 45 what are the chances of you knowing the past 10 days to trade in 20 years? None, <laughs> yeah. right? Warren Buffett said, market timers and market forecasters are only there to make fortune tellers look good because <laughs> no one can do it successfully. Even if they do it for a while, it doesn't last. It's mm. luck. You know, uh, Jack Bogle told me, who started Vanguard, you know, $3 trillion company. Wow. He said, we took gorillas, a thousand in a room and had them flip coins. And we, did, we said, how many times they got heads, how many got tails? Just gorillas flipping them randomly. And he said one gorilla in that set of, of those turns flipped heads 21 times in a row. Now, when you look at that and see all these gorillas doing it, you look at it and say, what a lucky gorilla. Mm -hmm. He said, but in the hedge fund industry, in the mutual fund industry, when somebody does 10 in a row, you go, what a brilliant investor. Right, what a genius. And it's just, <laughs> it's just averages and luck at that That's time. It, yeah. In fact, he showed me that 96% of all mutual funds fail to match the market over a 10-year period of time. Mm. Only 4% make it, and they're constantly changing. So the statistic I want people to know is, if you miss the 20 best trading days in the last 20 years, just 20 days in 20 years, one day a year in 20 years, and you're wrong. You're wrong on timing. Mm -hmm. Your 8.2 doesn't drop to 4.5. It drops to 2%. You might as well have been unwilling a bond. You right. have, no flex, sure, and sure. have no risk. Right. If you miss the top 40 trading days, to give you an idea, mm -hmm. you are minus 2%. So yep. you've got to get in the market. And if you're saying, what about my timing, though? Study was done by Schwab. If you've got the perfect timing for the year, the right day, the best possible day to buy, some people the worst day, mm -hmm. someone else dollar cost averages just keeps spending the same amount every month regardless of prices, and somebody stays in cash. Who has the worst return? Cash. He, he, you get nothing for cash. The guy who was the best had the best timing. The guy that was the worst, the guy that dollar cost average and the one that was on the worst day were almost identical. But after seven years, there was only a $20,000 difference in accumulated assets between the worst day mm. and the best day. The worst was not being in the market. Right. So you've got to be there. And I'm not saying put everything in stocks. We teach in the book all sure. these different assets. Yeah, yeah. But stocks in the last two centuries have provided the highest return. So you have to have significant exposure to that if you want to get the highest return. Mm. Got it. And what I love uh, in the book, you say that 80% of financial success is psychological, 20% is mechanical. Right. Yes. 
So it's not about timing and trying to like figure all these things out and when's the best thing or the best fund or best This is not whatever. about trading, it's about investing. Exactly. Trading is trying to do that and yeah. most people lose money trading. Even the guys right. that tell you make money, see how they're making money <laughs> right, two or right, three right. years from now. They yeah. usually eat the dust, right? Exactly. So yes, you've got to have the psychology and my best way of psychology is not to pump you up. If you want to be unshakable, mm -hmm. you want to be educated and you want to know the facts. You want to know, look, Every five years, I'm going to get a bear. Maybe three years. I'm going to get mm -hmm. a correction every year. But I'm going to be in the market and make money. Do you know that six of the 10 best trading days in the 20 years happened within two weeks of the worst trading day? Mm. So when, when Trump was elected, the market dropped, I think it was 800 points that night. Then he, at three or four in the morning, he made a speech where he was somewhat, you know, human and normal, <laughs> and the market got all its money back, yeah. and since then we're up 14% yeah. in November, December, January, in three months, February, you know, three and a half months. So people need to understand you gotta be in the market because the worst days will bring you your best days. Right, exactly. Um, now I went to India last year, yeah. and I went to One World Academy. That's great. Connected with Christian G and yeah, Pita G, the whole team, and I went for two and a half weeks. That's awesome. And it was a game changer. And, I, and I'd heard that you'd went there. Yes. And she's a good friend of mine. When I read the end of the book, you talked about beautiful states, suffering yes. state, what I learned. Yes. And I love how you share that. You know, you used to talk about, you know, being in a pink state as often as you can, but now you really kind of transitioned into a beautiful state, right? Yeah. Well, and Christian why G and I were talking. He's, yeah. He said something really beautiful to me. He's a dear friend of mine. I've known him for, I guess, about 15 years. His father is one of the, uh, the mm -hmm. most powerful spiritual teachers Oneness, in right? India. Yeah. Oneness, yeah. And so, you know, to give you an idea, he's considered an avatar there. So I went there and they had an opening. Christian G helped to organize it. And they expected a quarter million people over five days and a half a million people showed up the first morning. Wow. So it was like the ultimate Crazy. you know, craziness, if you imagine. So he's got some really beautiful grounding and his father mm -hmm. is, uh, is not just a religious man. He's really a spiritual man. He, he believes whatever you believe is wonderful. But what you have to do is wire your brain so that you're connected to the aspect of your spirit or oneness. And he teaches various ways to do this. So anyway, Christian G and I, over the years, have done a lot of fun things together. And this, about two years ago, we were having a conversation. And he said, you know, you teach the secret to life is peak state versus lousy state or being energy rich versus energy poor. That a relationship, you can love somebody, but if the energy's low, it's not going to show up. The energy's high. Well, he said, what if you swap those words and you swap peak state for beautiful state? I said, that works, you know, a high energy state is a beautiful state. Any state where you're high energy would be like love or joy or gratitude or drive or courage or faith or, you know, playfulness or fun. Any of those things are beautiful states. So he goes, yeah, yeah, I agree. And I said, and then suffering states would be low energy states. So that would be frustration, sadness, anger, resentment, loneliness, boredom, whatever. He goes, yeah, that's exactly right. I said, oh, I can swap those. He goes, if you swap them, there's something cool that you might see or do. I said, what's that, Christian? And he said, well, he said, I have made a decision that I'm going to live my life where I'm going to live in a beautiful state every day, no matter what, even if, it doesn't, even if it rains on my parade, even if people do things that are unjust. And he said, the reason is because in a beautiful state, just like you teach a peak state, mm -hmm. everything flows. And I said, well, that's pretty much what I've been teaching. He goes, yes, but if you think of the lousy states as suffering states, he said, then you can end suffering just by ending the state. And I said, I don't really relate to the word suffering. And, and I think most achievers do. Most achievers don't even get fearful. We get stressed. Right, <laughs> right, I always right. tell people fear is the achiever word for stress. Because if I follow <laughs> your stress, it'll take me to your fear. 
But I realized I didn't relate to suffering. Like if you had told me two years ago, Tony, do you suffer? I'd say, are you kidding me? I got the greatest life. I have the most incredible wife and four kids and I got 31 companies and I'm financially free and I have a mission I love and I'm in good health. And that would all be honest. I wouldn't have been dishonest yeah, yeah. about it. But what really helped me out of that conversation, I left there and I went, well, where do I suffer? And I realized frustration is suffering. I get frustrated. Yeah. You know, I get concerned. I get pissed off. I get, <laughs> you know, worried sometimes. I get these yeah. feelings. And so what I decided to do was, you know, just really create a 90-second rule for myself where I would end suffering as it arises. Because anybody tells you you're going to end suffering is full of crap. The reason is your brain is a two million year old brain. It's not designed to make you happy. It's designed to make you survive. Mm. But there's no saber tooth tiger for you to react to anymore. So now we worry about what are people thinking of us? Do I have enough money? Right. And in this country, in America, if you are in utter poverty, and I hate poverty, I feed 100 million people a year. So I'm not sitting on the sidelines. But if you make the worst and the least amount of money in this country and you're in total poverty, you're in the 1% of earners on the earth. Mm. Because 75% of the planet lives on $2.50 a day. Right. Right? So what I try to do is show people you can't build on failure. You can only build on success. So over the last two years, what I've done is play this little 90-second rule. And if I feel tension in me, I go, okay, that's suffering. Where's it coming from? What am I stressed about? What am I concerned about? And what I immediately do is I realize the stressful thought. Since I've seen Christian G, I kind of traded one thing. What I really do now is I dig in and I notice that the only time you have stress or suffer is when you believe a stressful thought. Yeah. So what would be one or two of the most stressful thoughts that happen to you most often? Because we all have them, right? And you can be an overachiever and you yeah. still do it. I mean, so what would be two thoughts that show up a lot that make you stressed? You know, something's not going well in my business or it's not the way I want it to look or yeah. be or, you know, one of, someone on my team messed up and it makes me look a certain way or my, you know... So there's know. a sense my, of loss. Yes, my there's identity or yes, yes, yes. Uh, my ego gets like... Yes. So what I told Christian yeah. G is I said, Christian G, I said, I think I've found the three triggers to suffering. He goes, what's that? I said, it's loss less never. Whenever you believe, mm. your mind believes a stressful thought like, oh my God, I'm not, my business is not going here. Oh, this guy screwed this up and now I've lost something. I've lost this opportunity or I've lost the time or I've lost the money or it cannot be someone else. It could be you. You could say, I failed to do this. I did something or I failed to do something. And as a result, I've lost something I value. Significance, trust, love, money, freedom, whatever. Or you said something or did something or failed to do something or I failed to do something or say something and I feel like I have less love or less money or less freedom. Less will make yourself. But the ones that are worse is never. If you start believing that because she said that or she did that or because I failed to do this or I said that, I'll never have love again. I'll never be wealthy. I'll never be free. Once you believe that shit, it's true because you won't initiate. You won't solve it. You won't create it. So I'm very sensitive to loss less never. Anything that triggers that and the antidote to it is to realize it's not you. So your thought of, God, you know, my business is stressful. Is this going to, you know, I'm sure it'll make it, but a little more part of you like, is this going to make it? Or this guy screwed up and look, it screwed me out of all these things. Mm. When those things happen and you suffer, it puts you in a mode where what you're really suffering about is yourself. And you were honest about it. Thank you for that. I saw you yeah, do it. You said, you know, well, I was thinking this guy did this and it cost me this. Yeah. It's the me, me, me that makes us suffer. Yeah. When a woman will say, I'm really worried about my children. I'm, you know, I'm really stressed. She's suffering about her children. And I'll listen to her. And I'll say, tell me. And she'll say, well, they're not doing this, not doing that. And I'll turn to her usually and say, I hope you can hear yourself because the real reason you're suffering mm. is not because of your children. 
It's not because they're not doing well. It's because you think you failed them. Mm. It's about you. Because otherwise, you'd just be working on the solution. Right. But you're busy beating yourself up, feeling bad, right. thinking the worst case scenario, right? So the antidote to suffering, the antidote of loss less never is appreciation. I always tell people, trade your expectation for appreciation. Your whole life changes. Mm. So I was just doing this talk here earlier, and I shared with them experience. And I'm fortunate enough to have my own you know, private jet now, but it, it's a intercontinental jet, so I can fly straight to China. It's wow. bigger than a Gulfstream. It's a Global Express. So it's like having your own bed in the sky, office in the sky. It's this amazing privilege. We filmed in there last time. Oh, that's right. I forgot about we that. We filmed the interview. Yeah. So it's fun. So you got the sense it's of amazing. it. It's just so great. But up until that time, I was chartering. Yeah. But half my business was overseas. And it's like you know $400,000 to fly to Australia and back on a Gulfstream. So it didn't make any sense. I finally did well enough. I sold a couple companies, made a couple hundred million dollars, and I went and bought the plane. But before that, I would be so stressed getting on Qantas Airlines to fly to <laughs> first Australia. Class. First, first class. First class, <laughs> bad. I would be so stressed because really? in my head I'd go, there's no internet. I'm cut off for 14 hours. I got 31 companies. I mean, I got this list of calls and texts and slacks and emails. And, and by the time I get there, it's going to triple in size. You're right? going to lose money. Yeah, I'd yeah. be all stressed out, right? And then one day I'd ask myself, what the F is stressful about sitting or lying when you got a bed, you know, even on a commercial flight like that in first class? And I realized what an idiot I was but it still grabbed me. You'd still suffer. And I remember one of the last times it happened before I got my plane, ironically, uh, they announced on the air, they said, uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're proud to announce we have international internet. And it was like God descended in the airplane. We're all <laughs> cheering, clapping. It's so wonderful, right? And, and then within about nine minutes, the thing broke down. Oh, man, yeah. And Everyone's out there. Everybody's like, pissed. They're like, oh, this is bullshit. I can't believe this. I'm not putting up with this. And I tell a story because nine minutes before, it was a miracle. <laughs> now, after nine minutes, it's already an expectation. Wow. And when you have expectations, you're always miserable. I realized my happiness was so cheap because all I had to do was have this nearby and I could lose my happiness because 31 companies, 1,200 employees, you know, five continents, I think, yeah, five continents now, seven different issues. What are the chances that right now someone is screwing up something with that many employees and that many businesses? 100% chance. 100%. Yeah. So all I had to do is wait and open up and find <laughs> the piece there. It's like, ah, I can't believe what the hell is the matter with them. See, I realized mm. all I had to do is have my phone to be stressed. If that's true, my happiness is so cheap. Because what are the chances of everybody doing exactly what you think they should do the right way every day? Zero. Zero. What are the chances of the people you love doing what you want them to do the way you want to do them every day? Zero. What are the chances of you doing the right thing every day, even if you're talented and disciplined? Zero. Zero. So your happiness will never last as long as it's got expectation behind it. Don't get me wrong. I have businesses. I run them. We manage them. But I know that people are going to screw up, or my idea of screw up is different than I think they should be. Right. And sometimes their screw up will turn into something even better. I, I got to give it room. So what I did was I began to realize I made the decision. It's the most important decision I believe of your life that I'm not going to suffer anymore. Life's too short to suffer and I'm going to live in a beautiful state every mm. day. And the way I do it is I catch myself when I start to get that sense of stress. I let it go and I see the eye to go by. So your thoughts, thoughts about this person messing up your business or not falling through. If I was in a room with 10,000 people, I guarantee you 60, 70% of the business owners have the same thoughts at times, right? I ask people all the time, tell me your most stressful thought. Oh, I'm worried about my children. This may happen. How many of you have had that thought? Everybody. Uh, I might not make it financially, blah, blah, blah. How many have had that? Everybody. My point is, it's not your thought. It's the mind, not your mind. 
When you think it's your mind, you identify with it and it's, you can't separate from yourself. Right. But when you realize <laughs> these thoughts have been around for millions of years and I'm just thinking the same thought that so many people have thought before. Like how many people have mm. ever thought, I'm gonna kill the son of a bitch. Now you didn't do it, because <laughs> you, you didn't believe it. you're really gonna kill him. <laughs> but you felt it, you said it, you were there, right? So we all have thoughts. It's only the stressful thoughts we believe that mm. mess us up. So what I try to show people is, if you can start to realize these thoughts have been around for millions of years. If I told you a million years, you know, a thousand, a hundred years ago that we're going to go to the moon and back, you called me a lunatic or crazy. If I said a hundred years ago, you're going to have a little box like this, it'll fit in your pocket and you can click on it and you can see what the weather is any place. You can click on it and see a live person on the other side of the earth and talk to them by looking at this box. And the way it works is invisible waves are traveling around the earth and it pulls invisible waves in the box. You go like, read between the lines. There's no way you dumb idiots sure, never sure. gonna happen. <laughs> so what I want you to realize is thoughts are invisible waves. When you turn on a TV, it takes invisible waves and depending on the channel, you're gonna see a love story or an adventure or a drama or a comedy, horror. or a horror, the way you use your body determines which of those thought waves come through you. Mm. One moment you're pissed off, the next moment somebody makes you laugh, you change your body, you change the channel, you change what comes through you. So what I've tried to do in this area of beautiful state is simple. Yeah. First, identify where you're suffering, what's your favorite flavor? Are you a worrier? Are you a pissed off person? Stressed, angry. What is it you do? Yeah. Second of all, decide you're gonna kill that monster while it's little. You're not gonna wait till it's Godzilla taking the city. You're gonna break the pattern. You start to feel the stress. You see it as thoughts going by, and then you focus on something you appreciate, enjoy, or love. Appreciation, love, and joy destroy suffering. You can't be grateful and angry simultaneously. It's possible. You can't be worried and fearful and, and grateful simultaneously. So I tell people gratitude is one of the emotions to cultivate that'll destroy the suffering. Yeah. And that's what we teach people to do. We've got about 10 minutes, so I wanna make sure I ask the right questions you for you to end. Uh, and one of the things I love in the book that you say is success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. Yes. And so it doesn't matter how rich you get from this book or how driven you are to make money, if you don't understand how to live in a beautiful state and you're the wealthiest person in the world, you know a lot of billionaires who are miserable, I'm assuming. Okay. That's correct. This is something important, and I love that it's in a financial make money book. Yes. Because, and it's the last chapter about beautiful state because again, if we're driven so much to make money, I was there in my early 20s, that's yeah. all I cared about. I obsessed over making money yeah. and I got overweight and I was miserable and I was in bad relationships. Yeah. If I don't understand how to have fulfillment and peace inside, then the outside achievements don't matter. No, and you also, you'll just have a hard time maintaining yes. great relationships of yes. any sort because when yeah. you know, no matter what a good human being you are, when we get in lousy states, we behave in ways overtly and covertly, yeah. not even meaning to, that mess up our relationships. Yeah. So I felt like I'd be remiss if I wrote a whole book on finance show exactly how to get wealthy mm -hmm. and then I didn't show you real wealth yeah. because there's lots of people. I, of the billionaires I'd interviewed, I, I don't want to grossly uh, be unfair in an estimate, but I would say the rarest commodity was somebody who was happy all the time. Somebody like Richard Branson, he is having the time of his life. He seems pretty happy. And, no, he really he is sincerely bad. Yeah. He's hungry, he's driven, mm -hmm. he's always growing, he's expanding, he's having fun. He, his favorite phrase, give it a go, Tom, let's give it a go. <laughs> but I would say that it is the absolute minority. I tell people what's more rare than a billionaire is someone who's in a beautiful state every day, somebody who's happy every day. Yeah. You get a new billionaire in the United States every six days. Diamond wow. does it. Someone who's really, really, really happy, juicy. Like my goal now, I have a different goal. My goal is 
I want to find ecstasy in each moment. I want to find something to be passionate about each moment. And I've been living that the last two years religiously. In the mm. beginning, my 90-second rule should have been like a four-hour rule or maybe a four-day rule. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was really shitty at it. But when you do something again and again, you it better. becomes like a muscle, right? Yeah. And you get good at it. And it'll, it'll make you more wealthy than money yeah. will. But you don't have to pick. You're going to be wealthy in financial terms and wealthy in emotional terms too, spiritual terms too. I love it. I did a video yesterday and I asked my audience to submit questions. And I was cool. telling you before. And I picked a bunch of them and I'll, I'll take the top few Great. that I think are interesting that maybe no one's really, really ever asked you. So hopefully, hopefully these are new questions for you. This is from Ryan Evers who said, what is the one thing you're still vulnerable about despite all your success you have and what still makes you uncomfortable that a lot of people don't know about? Hmm. Is there anything? What makes me uncomfortable? The thing you're still vulnerable about despite all your success or the thing Well, I would say health, as strongly as it is, I had a real health scare this last year. I think you know I shared yeah. with you. Yeah. I had mercury poisoning and, yeah. um, and mercury mimics uh, dementia. So wow. it makes you lose your memory in the middle of talking, which I've, you know, I do 50 hour events with 10,000 people and never forget a thought. And I've had uh, over the last year where I literally don't know where I am and what's going on in the middle of being in the room. Now, no one's seen it or known it because um, I ask afterwards because I'm pretty good at hiding, you know, it. Yeah. hiding it, but I, my mind works so fast I can put something else in there. But, uh, but that's been really rough. And then the mm. other part, and so you feel vulnerable. I, it's happened twice when I was speaking to you today. Wow. Like, did I say this before? Because I've done really? a bunch of interviews. And so it popped in my head just for a moment. Did I say that? I'm not sure mm. I said that. And so just for a moment, and I'm not used to that. I'm used to only being here with you or with them. I'm not in my head. So I'm down. I went from 123 in mercury on a zero to five scale. It was the highest mercury they measured wow. where I, they thought I'd be, I should be dead. Um, and it took me a year, and I'm down to now nine on a zero to five scale. So it's still there, right. but I'm almost done. So there's a great vulnerability in that. But I don't, outside the physical, I really don't feel that. And I'm not being um, sure. like I'm indestructible or some bullshit like that. It's just everything is a habit. Worrying's a habit. Fear's a habit. Uh, I'm pretty comfortable in who I am. You know, I'm 56 years old and we're 57 in a few days. Um, you know, I've lived a lot of life. So <laughs> I've buried, you know, three fathers and a mother. Mm. I've you know, I've been told I have a tumor in my brain, I'm gonna die. I've had companies that were near the edge financially and was able to turn them around. I've, I've faced enough things right now that it's not I'm so strong or cool or some shit. It's just that I've faced all those things so many times that my threshold of control is much higher than most people's. Because mm -hmm. you know, I made it through the, how do I keep the doors open? I need $50,000 and I don't have 50,000 to five million to at one point 120 million I needed because two of my partners went broke and I was held holding the bag to now I'm doing five billion. Right. And I only did that because I made it through those thresholds. So I'm pretty comfortable with most things, but I think there's vulnerability in health. And, and also I love my wife so much, I can't imagine losing her and she's in good health, but those things would feel vulnerable to me. Sure, well, thanks for sharing, I love it. David Hayward said, do you really believe deep down that you've made the choice to live the life you're living or did it choose you? And how do you rationalize choice when there is so much we don't get to choose? Well, that's a good question. Um, I have chosen very consciously what I want for my life and I continue to choose. I really believe that our creator has given us choice. And those that you know look at their life and say it's not the way they want it and blame God are barking up the wrong tree. You know, the resources are inside of us. Um, that's number one. But I'd say number two, this idea that, you know, rationalizing choice, I don't rationalize choice. I, I know it's one of the great gifts in my life and I can make it any moment. So can you. The one power we have is 
the decision to change anything. You don't like your your relationship? Change it. Change you first or change it. Right. You don't like your body? Change it. You don't like your finances? Any one of us can change it. We live in a world that's filled with answers. You got a web where you can learn from anybody on the planet mm -hmm. now. You got access to them, you know? So I I don't see it as like rationalizing choice. I think that mindset reveals limitations in the person asking the question. I'm not being derogatory to that sure, person. Sure. I'm grateful for the question, but I want you to know if you're listening that you know if I asked all those watching, we all have patterns, mm. and I'm a student of patterns. The way I can make changes in minutes for people that were stuck for years or athletes I've turned around and developed a great amount of fame around, and you know, the, the Quincy Joneses of the world, the, mm. you know, the Pitbulls, the Serena Williams, the things that I've done with all these people they rave about are because I know that whatever you focus on, you're gonna feel. So I'll just give you one example for the person who asked this question and for anybody listening. Yeah. There's, I'll give you three patterns real fast so you can check yourself out for a moment. So one pattern is a focus. Do you tend to focus more on what you have or what's missing? I'm asking your listeners right now, and you, what do you tend to focus on? What you have or what's missing? What I have. What you have, great. When I ask this in a room, usually about 70% are focused on what's missing. Most achievers are focused on what's missing so they can go out and achieve more, right? Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. But when you stack these patterns together, it's really hard to be happy when you're constantly focused on what's missing. There's a time where it's missing, so you go to work. But if you do it all the time, yeah. you can be achieving a ton, like some of these billionaires, and they're still focusing what's missing, and so they're not happy. Another pattern would be, do you tend to focus on what you can control or what you can't control? For me, can. Yeah, and I, I know that's true with you. Yeah. The majority of people is what they can't control. Right. Now, if you focus on what's missing all the time and what you can't control, you're gonna be depressed. I don't care if you take Prozac or Zoloft <laughs> or anything else. Your depression is not a Zoloft deficiency. It is the fact that you are doing something in your mind that is producing that depression. And if you constantly focus on what's missing and what you can't control, and let's add a third one. Do you tend to focus more on things in the past, the present, or the future? I know you do all three, we all do all three, mm -hmm. but which one for you would you say you spend more of your time on, past, present, or future? Well, my old self would say the past and the future. Mm -hmm. Now after going to One World Academy, I'm very present and present and future. Good. Yeah. Well, there's no right or wrong, right, but right. the past, you can't do anything about it, so the more you focus there, unless you're learning something from it, yeah. it's pretty much a waste. The present is where the joy is, the future is how you do business, right? right? So you anticipate. So it's the ability to do this. But if you have someone whose pattern is, focus on what's missing, Focus on what I can't control. Focus on the past. Mm -hmm. You can give them, I've seen it. I've, I've dealt with people like that who are suicidal. I come in, they've got every drug, they're taking every antidepressant, and they're still depressed. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'll ask in audiences all the time, how many of you know somebody who takes antidepressants and is still depressed? 90% <laughs> of the room will raise their hand. I know people. Oh, you know yeah. people? I'm, yeah. I'm sure people at home do. Well, why are they still depressed if they're taking antidepressant? Because all the antidepressant does is numb you. Mm -hmm. But they're still focusing what's missing. They're still focused on what they can't control. They're still focused on past or present that's not the way they want it to be or making up a future that's scary. Well, you're going to be depressed no matter what unless you take control of those factors. So the answer to this question is, you re I, I don't see it as a rationale. I see it as a gift. Choice is a gift. It's always there. You can choose what you focus on, and what you focus on is what you're going to experience. You can yeah. focus on things that make you suffer. You can focus on things that make you grateful. And of the two, gratitude is the better approach. It's not some mamby-pamby positive thinking <laughs> approach. It's intelligent because when you're in a good state, you can solve the problem 10 times better. I used to convince myself that if I'm suffering, if I'm pissed, I'm 10 times smarter, my brain goes faster, and it does. 
You know what I also found? I'm ten times smarter when I'm not stressed, and I also enjoy my life. <laughs> your more. body doesn't hurt. And your every, mind is yeah, just, yeah, yeah. And everybody else, you're able to reach yeah, them because yeah, exactly. they're not defensive. Two final questions. Um, Heather uh, Podeska says, Tony, is it possible for women to become powerful leaders without making without making men feel emasculated? And if so, how? Well, of course it is. I was just with uh, Mary Catlin Erdos, who's um, head of J.P. Morgan. She manages, check this out, people that manage $2.3 trillion with a T. She's the most powerful woman in finance for J.P. Morgan. And she, everybody loves Mary. Mm. Everybody, I mean everybody. At the conference, J.P. Morgan's Alternative Investment Conference, and I told you, 400 people there, you've got to have a billion-dollar net worth to right. get in, right? And everybody there raves about Mary. And the reason is because Mary is successful, but she's not... She doesn't treat as I'm different because I'm a woman. Mary has a belief. She said, you know, all these women are not in my business and they all tell me it's unfair and there's a glass ceiling. She goes, there's no glass ceiling for me. You know why? I don't believe it. She goes, it's a meritocracy. You get what you merit. She grew that business 30%, JP Morgan, if you can imagine wow. that. She grew 30%. Everybody loves Mary. Mary's constantly there. What makes Mary successful is what makes anyone successful, male or female. She's not focused on herself. She's focused on adding more value to other people's lives than anybody else. And yeah. that's the only secret in business. Do mm -hmm. more for others than anybody else does. I don't care if you're a man or a woman. I don't care if you're gay. I don't care if you're transvestite. Right. I don't care if you're, you know, you're not gay. I don't, I don't care what you are, what old or young, gender. All that matters in the world we live in today, outside your belief systems, is your ability to add value, at least in the marketplace. Right? We all have intrinsic value. Everyone has intrinsic value. You don't have to do anything to be worthwhile as a human. But if you want to be worthwhile financially, you have to add value. You have to develop skills and abilities and do more for others mm -hmm. than anybody else does. And I'm, I can tell you, I've met women, in the top CEOs in the world that are women, they have no problems whatsoever. The problem is up here. Right? Now, don't get me wrong. Are there people that will judge someone because of their color and skin or their gender or their age? Of course there are. But we've all been through that. Everybody's yeah. got something of injustice, and who cares? If you hang on the injustice, you're there. What you need to do is break through. You'll always break through if you add value. Mm. What's mm. your other question? Mm. Um, before I ask the final one, I want to make sure you guys do get the book. This is a game changer. Again, it's a short read. For me, it took me four, four hours, which for me is a very fast. So make sure you guys go get the book. Unshakable.com. I should also mention my co-author, because I haven't had a co-author ever, but it's Peter Malouk. And I want you to know the reason I picked Peter, he's the only man in history to be picked, you know, for three years in a row as the number one wealth manager in America by Barron's. No mm. one's won three years in a row. Two years in a row by CNBC, it was the last two years, and this year again by Fortune. And I'm his partner, so you know now. So when I wrote Money Master the Game, one of the things I did is I donated all the money just like mm. I did here. But I also wanted people to know about fees. We talked about that briefly, and we talk about in this book. Fees destroy your wealth. They do. And people have no clue. Little 1%, 2% fees. So I, I created a site where people could go and they could put yes. in all their accounts and they could see what they're really paying. Well, and then if they wanted to work with someone, and I highly recommend somebody work with someone, you can do it on your own, but it's usually smart to work with someone, but you gotta get somebody who's talented and you gotta Fiduciary, get somebody- right? Yes, who's yeah. legally responsible to support you. Now here's one of the things you need to know. There's 310,000 financial professionals in wow. the United States. 310,000, they have every name. Financial <laughs> advisor, wealth Broker, manager, yeah. wealth manager. But 90% of them are brokers. Mm. There's nothing wrong with a broker. But a broker works for the house. And if you hear about all the abuses of these financial companies, it's not because they're mean and wrong. Their goal is to maximize the profits for their shareholders. You're not a shareholder, you're an investor on your own. The only way to get more money for shareholders is charge you more fees. Yeah. So everything is about bursting those fees. So I put the site together, 
And then I recommended fiduciaries, people that aren't brokers. Again, out of 310,000, there's only 31,000 in the whole country. Wow. So I put together the questions to ask, the things to do, and a site, and then I recommended 10 of these people. You have seven questions in there to ask. I do, yeah, yeah. But when I did my first book, the problem was that a bunch of these people that are fiduciaries, that are legally responsible, like if they tell you buy Apple this morning and they buy it tonight for less money, they have to give you your stock. Mm. That's how strong the law is. But I found out afterwards, Peter called me up. Peter's number one, you know, broker, or the number one registered investment advisor in the country. So I was like, I listened to him. He said, I want to come meet you. There's some gray areas of the law that these guys are abusing. And I found out some of the biggest guys in the world that are registered investment advisors, the 10%, they're not the 10%. They're called duly registered. It means one moment they're telling you, I'm here for mm. you. You're only paying me a little flat fee or this percentage, but I'm not getting any commission. I'm not going to recommend anything to you but the best because I don't, I'm incentivized. I'm like a dietitian. I'm not getting paid like a butcher to sell you meat. I'm only showing you what to do. Mm. And in the middle of conversation, they switch hats and they become a broker and you don't know it. And they sell you a bunch of shit that is horrible, but they do it because they make the most money on it. Right. Right. So I can tell you 10 of those. So Peter taught me that. So I kicked everybody off the site and I said, Peter, what if you and I became partners? You're the number one in the world. But I said, to do it, I'd want you to do something different. He does something really special. Most billionaires have what's called a home office. Mm. Home office is like 10 or 12 people, seven or eight people. One focuses on your investment. One focuses on your mortgages. One focuses on the taxes and legal because taxes right. eat up so right. much of your money. Yeah. He built home offices for business, just normal business people that have like a million dollars. I convinced him to build a whole division for people with as little as $50,000. Now, he doesn't make any money on them. Because right? he gets less than 1%, back. 80, 85 basis points, less sure. than 1%. But I said, look, you do this, you get back to the community, you're going to keep building your brand. And we've mm. gone from $17 billion a year ago to $23 billion in assets with Peter. So I'm on his board. Nice. I'm, I'm, so you know, I'm also the head of investor psychology. And so if you decide to go and you want to get him to do a study for you or do a plan for you, he'll do it for free. Right. You just go to uh, getasecondopinion.com getasecondopinion.com. He'll do a plan for you. And then if you want to do business with him, it's less than 1%. Mm. Um, if you don't, you can do it on your own. But I do want you to know, if you do that, I benefit. I mean, I don't have my mm. money, but I benefit from it because I'm part of that firm, so you know. But you know, this is a cool way for you to be able to make a right. comparison to what else is there. Yeah, awesome. Okay. Uh, before the final question, I want to acknowledge you, like I always do, Tony, for when I was 16, I went to one of your events in St. Louis, Missouri. Wow. It was Only a, time I did it in St. Louis, Missouri. It was actually. a, was it? Yeah. Yes. It was like a success uh, yeah, talk. All day. All day yeah. with different speakers. Yeah, the Trump was, was, Trump was actually was there. Trump yep. was there. I, I met Dick Vermeil there. Yep. He had a simple ring. Trump was there. I actually left right before Trump spoke, actually, because I had to get back to class or something. I was 16, and I was about halfway down the floor. There must have been 15,000 people there. It was huge. It was yeah. packed. Yeah. It was the first time I was really, I'd ever seen you. The first time I was ever really aware of your stuff. I'd heard of your stuff before, but I... First time I experienced the, the presence. Yes. And at one point you walked down the stage and through the aisles, and I was sitting in right next to the aisle. Mm. And for whatever reason, you came up and you stood right next to me. You didn't look at me. I don't remember what you said, but I remember the way you made me feel. Wow. And it was one of the most profound moments of my 16 years of life. Wow. And it, it set me up for doing what I'm doing today. I didn't know I'd be doing what I'm doing, That's impacting true. millions of people. Yes. 
Um, but I want to acknowledge you for being an incredible energy source and being in a beautiful state in that moment to show me what's possible for my That's life. That's very kind of you. That really touches my heart. How old are you now? 30 what? 33. 33. 16 to 33. Yes. That's pretty cool. The final question I asked you this last time, it's called the three truths. And I'm curious to see if this is different now than last year. It's if uh, it's the last day for you, the, you know, many, many years from now, it's the last day for you. And for whatever reason, your books, your videos, your audios, they're all erased for whatever reason. And you have a pen and a piece of paper and you get to write down your three truths to everything you know about life, love, business, whatever it may be. The three things that you would leave to the world of your biggest lessons, what would those three truths for you be? Gosh, there's so many, pick three, but I'll just pick three randomly, they're important, there's, there's more <laughs> than this. I would say, you know, that the secret to life is to get outside yourself and find the way to add value to others. There's nothing that's more fulfilling than doing something beyond yourself. I think one of the things that makes me proud to be a human being is human beings will do more for others that they care about than they'll ever yeah. do for themselves. Yeah. And when you tap into that, you have more energy than anybody else, you have more joy, you have more excitement because as I always say, life supports whatever supports life, motive matters. And there's nothing wrong with supporting yourself. I support myself, everyone supports themselves. But when you're trying to support your family, you get different insights, your community, the world. So I think the idea of being obsessed with learning, growing, and adding value to me is the most important thing in life because, you know, the only way we're happy is by making progress. You know, we grow and we feel alive. We give and we feel 10 times more alive. But you got to grow to have something to give. Yeah. So that would be one. Two for me is um, I'd say that if, you are, if you're going to be alive and you're not enjoying yourself, you've wasted your life. And it's like every day the gift is find something to appreciate, something to enjoy, something to love, something to give thanks for because that sense of aliveness comes mm. from that gratitude, comes from that peace. And then I'd say third and simplistic as it sounds, love is everything. I mean, I'd trade uh, the love that I have with my wife, my children, my mm. dear friends, uh, my coworkers, my audiences. I'd trade that for all the money in the world. I mean, no, no amount of money can match that process. Mm. But I'm appreciative of having the money because it allows me to have portable power. I can, you know, I take care of right now, I provide 250,000 people a day with fresh water in India because what kills children is waterborne disease and it's so easy to solve. And I'm going to get that from 250,000 to a million people a day shortly. I'm on target for it. Um, you know, we're feeding 100 million people a year. I'm going to do that for 10 years, my 10-year plan. And then I have a, uh, I'll have a 100 million annuity that keeps on doing, feeding 100 million meals every year. Um, I provided 100 people last year with um, becoming medical doctors because there's a giant shortage coming. Right. And I also wanted African-Americans who just didn't have the opportunity to have that opportunity. We live in a world that isn't always just. And mm. so I did that. Um, I'm, uh, the Internet is worthless if you can't read and write. So, you know, I, I partnered with uh, Elon Musk and with Peter Diamandis and, and the XPRIZE, and we did an education XPRIZE that we've had unbelievable progress on where one out of seven kids in this country, one out of seven people in the world can't read or write, they're illiterate. And 250 million children are illiterate, quarter of a billion. The internet's worthless when you can't read or write. Right. So there aren't enough teachers, there never will be. We, our demographics don't serve it or sort it. So we've got all these firms competing for this $15 million prize we put up, which then means on an iPad, they can teach themselves to read and write and do basic arithmetic within 18 months from wow. nothing. Wow. And it's going to be open source. So the winner gets 15 million and everyone in the world have access to it. You know, So those types of things, you know, they're what make you feel alive. You know, you're, it, they're all expressions of love. I always tell people, other than love, my labor is the thing, is the greatest gift I can give someone because it's an expression of my love. Yeah. 
And so I think that that third point is love is everything. Make sure every single day you strive to be a blessing in the lives of the people you meet. That's my daily prayer. Lord, let me be a blessing today. Right before I walk out on stage, Lord, guide me to be a blessing in the lives of the people I meet. And most of the time, I seem to pull that off. You do a good uh, job. I spent a long time, a lot of years doing it, and hopefully there'll be a lot of years ahead sure, doing it too. Sure, Well, Tony, uh, make sure you guys go get the book. Tony, thank you for being the incredible, loving leader that you are. It thank means you. a lot to me. Thank I you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Congratulations on what you've done. Thank you. And there you have it, guys. Oh, my goodness. I think we did it again. Third time back. Even more powerful every time we do this. I would love your support in getting this message out there. Make sure to pick up a copy of Unshakable. I read this book and I loved it. And I'm constantly trying to learn about how to maximize my finances. And this just gave me so much more clarity and peace of mind. He breaks it down in such a simple way. I'm telling you guys, go order this right now. LewisHouse.com slash 451 for all the show notes. Go pick up a copy. Check out all the other stuff we talk about. You can watch the full video interview over on YouTube or at the show notes. And please, please, please share this with your friends. Email them this episode, lewishouse.com slash 451. Put it on Twitter, Facebook. Tag me and Tony on Instagram. Guys, the world needs to hear this. I'm asking for your support to get the message out there. It's such a profound and powerful interview, and I want to make sure everyone hears it. So please share it out. And if you have not left us a review yet, please leave a review on your thoughts on this episode over on iTunes.com slash greatness. Leave us a review that helps us increase our rankings and share our message to the world over on iTunes as well. So all that would be a big support for us and the show here at the School of Greatness. Our mission is to bring you the brightest minds, ideas, and information to help you unlock your ultimate human potential. And we can't do that without your support. So it means the world to me. Guys, what a powerful interview. And this next episode coming up, we've got Mel Robbins. I am so excited for you to meet Mel Robbins. If you don't know who she is, she's a CNN analyst and one of the biggest speakers in the world, guys. She is unbelievable. And I'm super pumped to introduce you to her if you don't know who she is yet. Make sure to share this out. Leave a review. Get Tony's new book. Tag us on social media. I love you guys for all that you are and all that you continue to do to step up your lives and make this world a better place. You know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. Imagine a beautiful afternoon. The sun is shining and you get to enjoy it all because you just sat down on your John Deere mower. The smooth ride lets you escape into your yard. Intuitive controls make you feel like you're one with the machine. And with attachments for every season, you can enjoy it all year long. We could keep trying to put you in the moment, but to really understand what it's like to drive a John Deere mower, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. 
At Metro, get an iPhone 12 with 5G and a dual camera system for $99.99. Take amazing pictures and share them instantly. And don't put up with life's yada yada. Yada yada. Like photo bombers. Zoom, crop out, yada yada. And bye. You don't take yada yada in life. Don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Get iPhone 12 with 5G with no activation fees and not a yada yada. Only at Metro by T-Mobile. Switch Metro, bring your ID. This offer isn't available for customers currently at T-Mobile or that have been with Metro in the past 180 days.